Welcome to our latest podcast. Today I'm pleased to be interviewing Chet Billingsley, the chairman, CEO, and founder of Mentor Capital, a publicly traded company that invests in pre-IPO cannabis-related businesses. He did his undergraduate work at West Point, and he later received a master's degree in applied physics at Harvard University with concurrent study at Harvard Business School and at MIT studying proton radiology. He is also a founding director and officer of the board of directors of the Nevada Cannabis Industry Association. Welcome, Chet. Hello, Fred. Good to talk to you. Great. So you've been in the cannabis industry since 2013. What changes have you seen? Ah, Well, in 2013, I recall going to one of the earliest uh, conventions they had there. There was a a few hundred people, and there was three guys, literally one, two, three, that wore ties. Myself, uh, Brendan Kennedy, and another fellow from Privateer Holdings. The the rest of the show was very informal, lots of tie-dyed shirts, and one of the things I learned at uh, at that stage of the of the industry is you had to look very closely at the eyes of the of the people you were discussing business with, because if they were really dilated, you weren't going to, uh, or they weren't going to remember the conversation the next day. Wow. We've we've uh, uh, transitioned along the way uh, since then. Uh, to a more formal business. And, uh, you know, originally the, the people that were, that you'd want to work with were larger. And, uh, you know, you'd want to work with the larger people when they've been in the business longer. Mm-hmm. That means that they, if you start at 2013 and go back a bit, they were uh, working in the space when it was um, almost completely illegal. So that uh, individual was not used to dealing in contracts uh, because you can't enforce an illegal contract, and they would uh, take a lot of actions uh, by what I euphemistically call self-help mm-hmm. because there was nothing else that they could do. Um, if you are a, a formal business person, sort of like ourselves, came in from Silicon Valley and biotech and uh, in the San Diego area, and are used to contracts and formal business dealings, there's quite a culture clash there. And expectations uh, took quite a few years to uh, smooth out where contracts now are more, much more easily followed and normal business dealings are much more easily followed. And, but back in, in that era, it was a lot of relationships, uh, what are you doing for the plant, uh, mm-hmm. love of the plant, and, and, and terms you don't normally hear mm-hmm. in uh, other business dealings. Mm. So that, that evolution from small mom and pop, almost Rice Krispie bars in a cellophane wrapper, to now uh, formal bottling of all sorts of uh, uh, products is, uh, is a big change, a big migration. Wow. Well, you know, the hottest stocks in the news today lately have been the Canadian cannabis companies, especially Tilray, which went from about $23 a share back in July to 
around 300 a share yesterday before dropping down at the end of the day. How would you characterize the Canadian situation today? Well, it, it, Tilray in particular is very uh, interesting to me because uh, I met uh, Brendan Kennedy in 2013 uh, at that uh, trade show I was I was talking about. Uh, at that time, he was sitting at a at a three foot by six foot uh, table with a drape over it, uh, two chairs, sort of nondescript. As I recall, the the price for a booth was five hundred dollars, and. Um, but you know he's a he's a, a very smart guy. Took things public uh, in um, this this last summer, raised 153 million dollars, and had the backing earlier by Peter Thiel, the um, founder of PayPal and one of the early Facebook uh, investors. Mm-hmm. So um, he he made the, a, a very smart move by. Um, setting up Tilray in 2013 in Canada. And uh, Justin Trudeau uh, ran on, and the sentiment was even even back in 2013 in Canada, that uh, cannabis would move towards legalization. And Canada altogether is about the same size as California alone. Mm-hmm. So it it's not as you know it's not as big as its uh, geography, uh-huh. and they've they, they've taken a very smart approach there, with this you know general legalization and recreational be legalized uh, on October seventeenth, leaving leaving the uh, exact rules to be promulgated by each uh, individual pr- province. But one of the things that they've done is set the excise tax rate at 10%. This is very similar to what the U.S. did after the uh, lifting of alcohol prohibition, uh, Mm. where they set the excise tax rate on alcohol at 5%. Mm. And they did that to undercut the the moonshiners and, uh, and organized crime. Um, because, you know, why not buy legal stuff for just 5% more? Yeah. And, uh, and that did work. Later, they moved the excise tax to 10%. Uh, we did an independent study here at uh, Mentor Capital, and, uh, came, and by comparing different tax rates and the amount of the black market, determined that the, the black market will uh, pretty much track with the tax rate so if you have a 50% tax rate, and that's pretty common in the cannabis space throughout the United States, you're going to have a 50% black market. Because the same people that are buying from your dispensary um, also know where they can buy things um, you know, around the corner or in, a, in an unlicensed space. Mm-hmm. And if they're paying... Um, $40 a week, but they could pay $20 a week, uh, they'll go ahead and pay t- in 20 And, um, and that, that's a problem in the U.S. We have a lot of illegal um, grows and, dis- and dispensaries and distribution. And in Canada, they've taken this low tax rate approach that will reap good benefits 
but that's caused the business really to grow. Mm-hmm. Their, their growth in Canada is much, much higher than the Canadian market. The, the entire Canadian market is about $5.6 billion. Hmm. Yesterday, the market cap of just Tilray was uh, just shy of $40 billion. Now it's dropped back today to maybe $25 billion. Mm-hmm. But this is one company with a market capitalization five times as big as the entire market of uh, Canada. Now, what what uh, Brendan did is he took Tilray, set it up in Canada, where um, cannabis, the, the cannabis activities that he did were legal. Mm-hmm. And if you do something that's legal, much like... Uh, uh, GW Pharmaceuticals is doing legal cannabis work in Great Britain, you can list on NASDAQ. So he did wholly legal things in Canada, listed on NASDAQ, um, raised $153 million, and is now very well positioned. People in the U.S. can invest through NASDAQ into his company. If you had an almost identical company in the in the state of California, for example, doing the same things but in the U.S., you could not list on NASDAQ because it's, on a federal level, illegal. Mm-hmm. So a Canadian company can list on NASDAQ and raise funds through NASDAQ, but an American company doing the same thing cannot. And a, a, a big issue there is that uh, brokers also cannot recommend a U.S. stock that isn't on NASDAQ or is doing or is involved in cannabis, or approximately 90% of brokers cannot recommend. But they could recommend Tilray up in, up in Canada. So the, the regulatory environment is nice. The tax environment is nice. The access to the U.S. capital markets is excellent. Uh, one manifestation of that, if you look at the the recent uh, ra- uh, financial raises uh, in the uh, overall, and and the the amount of money raised for cannabis is about a million dollars a day, mm-hmm. and uh, the last uh, swath had sixty percent of the of the raises were for Canada, 20% were for rest of the world, and only 20% were for the U.S. So the U.S. constraints are, are really holding back capital formation in the United States and really extending it into uh, into Canada quite vigorously. Mm-hmm. Since Canada is about a tenth of the size of the U.S. and it has three times the the capital raise, you could say that the advantage, the, the capital advantage in Canada is sort of 30 to 1, on a, a certainly on a population basis. Well, well that kind of leads into my next question is, um, what do you see evolving in the uh, U.S. cannabis regulatory scene, and what will the impact be? Um, and also, when do you see federal legalization taking place in the U.S.? Well, nothing will happen until after the election because it's a, a hot-button issue. <clears throat> and 
and um, the the people that are, um, you know, people get people getting elected. The, the there's certain persons that, especially older, that have a, a fixed a fixed opinion um, uh, on cannabis and its uh, and its negative. Now that is continually shifting more and more positive over time, but. Uh, nobody's going to take the chance on those voters just before this midterm election. Mm-hmm. I suspect that just after the midterm election, that there'll be some actions taken, and and um, there, there's there's two general approaches that might uh, be followed. One is allowing medical through, throughout the United States in some fashion, and and. That's the strongest possibility, because almost everybody feels that the the medical marijuana uh, applications are a plus. Mm-hmm. And then there's a certain certain segment that feels recreational use is not. So that might be pushed off in time uh, until sort of a second round. If the if marijuana can be taken off schedule one, which is a um, almost the best way to say it is a joke mm-hmm. uh, because schedule one means that there's no medical use well that's ridiculous and that it is highly addictive and and dangerous like heroin and LSD and and that just isn't the case mm-hmm. uh, people die from opiates uh, all the time we, we just did an eight million dollar uh, uh, passed an $8 million bill to help deal with that. And nobody dies from marijuana use. E- even if you took, uh, I don't know, half a pound and, uh, and ate it, mm-hmm. you would, you would go to sleep because, uh, opiates affect the brain stem mm-hmm. and they relax you and relieve pain by, by relaxing the brain stem, which also relaxes breathing. When breathing is relaxed down to zero, you have an overdose and die. Mm-hmm. Cannabis doesn't affect the brain stem. It affects the sleep center. So if you have too much cannabis, um, like the half a pound we talked about, as long as you didn't throw up because it's sort of like eating grass literally, uh, you, you might sleep for 36 hours, but that's the worst thing that would, that would happen to you. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, interestingly, there's also a substitution effect. If you legalize cannabis, people have uh, uh, people use fewer opiates by about a 20% um, substitution rate, and that would save 10,000 lives per year if we could just snap our fingers and legalize it across the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that kind of leads to another question. So do you think the biggest area of growth currently is medical marijuana versus recreational or do you think both areas will grow pretty equally well uh, uh, medical was introduced or allowed first mm-hmm. so a, a lot of people um, have a, a medical card or found some way to uh, have access to medical marijuana for medical use. Now, it, it still has probably um, 100% uh, growth possibility, or, or, or people don't have access. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, if, you go, if you talk to doctors, uh, 
they they're still naysayers um, because they were raised on the uh, on the use of opiates. Um, but maybe the growth there is a hundred percent, and there's about uh, 29 states or, or territories and districts that allow medical marijuana use now. It covers about uh, 60% of the U.S. population. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, there's not that many states that allow recreational use. And, of course, all of this is forbidden uh, unless it's in uh, under state uh, uh, direction by mm-hmm. the federal government. Mm-hmm. So the the increase on the recreational side. Now remember, this is only the legal increase on the recreational side. Yes. Uh, that that could be about uh, five-fold, hmm. uh, maybe four-fold. So about a 400% recreational use increase and maybe 100% medical use increase. The ratio between the two is three and a half to one meaning recreational is 350% of the 100% that is uh, medical use. Uh, in the Sometimes that's quite hard to measure, and if you look at, at most uh, charts, that it'll have the, the ratio closer, like two to one or one and a half to one. But truly what that is is people that want to use uh, marijuana in a recreational way mm-hmm. that uh, get a card, and they say, oh, I have a bad back, and then they're able to uh, get a certain amount of marijuana without being at risk, and they really are using it for recreational purposes. Mm-hmm. I see. Um, it, you know, some of the major corporations are jumping on the bandwagon by buying interests in marijuana businesses based in Canada, such as Constellation Brands and Molson Coors. Do you expect this to continue? Uh, yes. Um, if, uh, if you look at um, uh, beer companies, beer use has decreased about 5% per year for two and a half years in, uh, in Colorado. So if you're in the, in the beer industry and you see people um, shifting to cannabis, you want to keep your sales up. So you look at how you can buy into that. And one of the things that is becoming more more popular as a way to um, take cannabis so you're not smoking a joint in front of your kids is a, we'll call it a can of beer or a can of beverage. Mm-hmm. And those, those have uh, some mixture of THC or CBD in them, and you can control that and then make the uh, make the make the beverage taste um, uh, however you wish. And as a can of beer, it's quite attractive because you, you get the relaxation effect of sort of having a, having a beer. The, the social um, uh, acceptance of drinking something that sort of looks like a beer or does look like beer. And uh, you, you feel good. Um, and then the um, uh, but you don't get angry, you don't get drunk, you don't uh, lose your inhibitions, you get uh, mellow. Mm-hmm. So it is a, sort of a, a peaceful beer, uh-huh. and that is something that regular beer companies can move into. 
Another area is, of course, um, uh, cigarettes. It's uh, very consolidated in the U.S., uh, and and the cigarette consumption has uh, leveled off uh, worldwide and decreasing in the United States. Um, and to keep profits up, you can you can just substitute marijuana leaf for tobacco leaf, and it it takes a tobacco company. It's it's amazing. It takes them about uh, six cents. I think it's more like a dime mm-hmm. to make a pack of cigarettes that sells for six dollars, with several dollars of of tax uh, added to that, plus the distribution, marketing, and uh, uh, direct sales uh, costs. Mm-hmm. So can't. Uh, Cannabis is is selling for much more, but is made the same way. They refer to those as pre-rolls. And there's no reason that a tobacco company, if it was legalized, couldn't use its shelf space at 7-Elevens eventually to get to the point where they could sell cannabis there to people of age, checking IDs, in the same way that they they do now for cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a very shocking statistic, however, we don't want to think about it, is that um, cannabis, because of the, I really feel, excessive regulations, are selling for about, uh, on, a, on a pure wholesale basis, are being grown for about $400 a pound. Mm-hmm. And tobacco is grown for 5 to $10 a pound almost a factor of a hundred less. Mm-hmm. Now, if you had to grow tobacco where you would you would start with every teeny little plant and put a tag on that plant and track the plant growth, track it when it's repotted to something bigger, uh, had to have licenses, expensive licenses to grow that are zoned very carefully. And then you had to keep track of the stalks that are chopped off and their weight, both wet and dry, the leaves before they're trimmed and after they're trimmed and account for the trim and the sort of the bud, the piece that you're actually going to use. And then and track that with special software that's reported to the, to the states on a regular basis, subject to inspections and a few, just a few licenses. Well, lo and behold, Tobacco, instead of of costing five to ten dollars a pound, would cost four hundred dollars a pound. Mm-hmm. So I suspect that tobacco isn't going to move up, but rather that cannabis will move down mm-hmm. and be. Uh, and when that happens, that will change the economics considerably, and the larger companies that are that are set up to handle uh, efficient economic grows and processing and distribution will dominate. And that all speaks towards consolidation amongst the uh, big, uh, amongst bigger companies that can do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I do remember many years ago there were rumors going around that the tobacco companies were planning for legalization and even registering trademarks of uh, such common names of cannabis varieties as Alcapoco Gold, but 
I haven't seen anything on the news about the tobacco industry jumping in. Do you think this is going to happen pretty soon? I think they'll hold off for a bit. Uh, remember with uh, the, the, the big federal lawsuit that uh, tobacco went, went through, they're, they're highly regulated in terms of the collection of taxes and paying their due to the government. And they don't want to, I would, it seems to me that they would not want to do anything that is contrary to existing government policy. They're not really free to speak their mind um, uh, freely. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, so I think they are getting ready. Um, probably, uh, I understand, buying properties where they can grow uh cannabis, just like uh, they're related and uh, in the growth of tobacco, mm -hmm. um, but they're not, they're not talking about it because the government has such a good grip on their neck. I see. Okay, if you look at the, the various parts of the industry, like the growers, the distributors, the retailers, and what I would call like the picks and shovels market, such as growing equipment, what do you think is the biggest area of growth in the cannabis industry? Hmm. Um, uh, d local distribution, um, especially to uh, customers at home, so so you don't have to embarrassingly go to a dispensary. Uh, I think that's an area that will have uh, considerable growth every time there's recreational legalization. The the growth in in edibles is uh, an area that will uh, continue to accelerate. Um, vaping is uh, strong, and although the use of uh, a flower um, is still dominant, uh, it will continue to decrease uh, over time. Uh, cultiva cultivators are uh, will grow with the with the market as they shift out of uh, federal parklands and and hidden grow houses just to uh, greenhouses that that are legal. Um, but that in the long term, that's that's a risk industry, I think, because you can grow cannabis. Uh, Outdoors. I mean, it used to grow on the banks of the Potomac in in Washington D.C. Hmm. Wow. So, and, and you know, in in China, they have interesting pictures. They use it for um, uh, land, heavy metal, and uh, chemical remediation. If you grow, if you grow um, cannabis or hemp uh, over a, a Place that has contaminated it tends to suck up into the into the plant, and if you grow about uh, eight to twelve seasons, it's a good way to pull the heavy metals and contaminant out of the, the surface layer of the uh, of the earth. And they have pictures as far as the eye can see, where there's there's just um, cannabis plants or hemp plants, or just a, a different different version, mm -hmm. and uh, it looks like. Uh, corn in Nebraska. So um, uh, if you're growing in a greenhouse or indoors with grow lights, how can you compete with that when it uh, becomes legalized? 
Mm-hmm. That's almost, you know, everything is free. It gets down into that, the price of tobacco range. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, great. Um, why don't we finish up with one last question. How did you ever become involved in investing in the cannabis industry or getting involved in, in this industry? Yes. Well, <clears throat> I was a, uh, a cancer investor. I studied uh, difficult-to-treat cancers using proton radiology at MIT in graduate school working with Mass General Hospital. So I have this, this medical technical background. And I started, uh, uh, when, I, when I came to San Diego, I, I looked around for an area you know, that I knew and was budding around here and uh, started investing in cancer and focused on cancer immunotherapies. And I was the cancer immunotherapy guy, spoke at the conferences and so forth, set up the cancer immunotherapy index. And then in the uh, Obama administration in 2012, they said they were no longer going to reimburse these uh, risky, um, uh, untried treatments that are the best thing going. So my my largest investment was in Dendron, a $5 billion company that dropped uh, from $44 a share to $1.60 before it went bankrupt. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I was fortunate and got out uh, near the top and everything. And then I was... I was wondering, well, what to do now? And somebody called me and said, would you consider a cancer treatment? And I said, well, that's good, uh, using uh, medical marijuana. And my, my first reaction is, you've got to be kidding. Have you seen the color of my hair? It's more white than gray. It's like asking a chicken to go surfing in the ocean. Uh, however, the scientists in me knew that in the cancer field, medical marijuana is a godsend. It reduces nausea from chemotherapy, stimulates appetite so people have the strength to fight the disease, and especially reduces pain of tumors pressing against organs or from the inside of bones. So I had, over the years, counseling somebody dying almost every week, uh, I would often say, uh, Betty, uh, if you have a niece in college, you know, I I know you're throwing up 30 times a day, why don't you have her get uh, some special cookies, you know, and you don't have to smoke, you know, you just eat a little bit of that cookie. And by the time you had about half, you'd be surprised how, how much your nausea will, will recede. And she might throw up then only one time a day. Hmm. So I had, I had learned that there's medical benefits there. So I said, I oh, will, I'll give it a shot. I'll give it a look. And I saw that on a square foot basis, something like a 7-Eleven had three times the the profitability if it was a dispensary. Then I looked at the public market side and saw that it was the the multiples were uh, outrageously high. And I said, well, there's there's money to be made. And then where would I fit? And I, I felt that the medical expertise that uh, that we had could be well applied in in this space. And also, I could bring some business professionalism and integrity to uh, what at, at that time was completely the wild, wild west of can- cannabis. So in 2013, we, we started and, uh, you know, we're, we're up 400% over, over this period of time. And I, I'm pleased uh, and I think we're making a contribution as we tried to. Great. Well, that's a great answer. And you provided some outstanding information on this industry. And I, I really appreciate your time.
All right. Thank you very much. I always enjoy talking to you.